Welcome, everyone. I'm Marilyn Stern, Communications Coordinator for the Middle East Forum. Our topic today is the Trump administration searches for a Mideast policy. As the new administration develops policies addressing the Middle East chaos and reexamines the Obama administration's approaches to the region, we'll have our guest speaker, Dr. Thomas Parker, offer his assessment of the work-in-progress policies to date. Dr. Parker has had a 30-year career in government service. He played a role in Mideast policy planning for the State Department and was Foreign Affairs Officer for the Secretary of Defense during the George Bush, W. Bush, and Obama administrations. Prior to these positions, he worked policy issues for Senator Joe Lieberman. Currently teaching security studies at George Washington University, Dr. Parker authored a book on U.S. diplomacy in the Middle East during the 70s, taught at the University of Haifa, and lectured for the Israeli Foreign Ministry. And now let's turn to Dr. Parker for his perspective on the Trump administration. Dr. Parker? Yes, thank you very much for the introduction. So I'll speak for about 10 or 15 minutes about uh, what's going on in the Middle East, just focusing on the Middle East. And I'll first talk about the, the greater Gulf area, and I'll go to Egypt, and I'll end on some comments about Israel. And I look forward to your questions. Um, I think it's safe to say that almost uh, every leader in the world wanted Hillary Clinton to win, with some exceptions, uh, a few exceptions. But the, the one region where that is probably not true is the Middle East, uh, where uh, Trump has had some, uh, you know, some support. Um, so let's turn to first uh, Iran and the Gulf states. Uh, Trump has said that he would take a more assertive stance vis-a-vis -vis Iran. Uh, that doesn't mean that he'll tear up the nuclear agreement. Uh, that apparently is not going to happen. But I think we can anticipate that he'll support the uh, anti-Iran side of the Yemen civil war, for example. And we will probably see a more uh, assertive arms shipment, U.S. arms shipments, and, and perhaps preventing uh, Iranian arms shipments from going to the, the pro-Iranian Houthi side. So that's one uh, thing that's probably going to be taking place if it's not taking place already. You may also want to keep an eye on what the administration does, if anything, about the Iranian ballistic, ballistic missile tests. Those tests were not part of the nuclear agreement. So there's some ambiguity surrounding them. Uh, there was a UN Security Council resolution uh, calling on Iran not to develop missiles that can carry WMD. Iran claims that these can't or won't carry WMD. Um, so it remains to be seen what the administration will do about the Iranian missile tests. Um, let's turn to the Arab states. Uh, they're probably quite pleased that uh, Trump is in office because A, he'll take a more assertive policy towards Iran, and B, he won't, uh, and, and B, and, and that includes uh, a, a more assertive policy in the Yemeni civil war. But B, uh, he won't uh, criticize them much, if at all, about civil rights issues. Um, Bahrain, in particular, has been a focus of uh, U.S. criticism because um, 
it's the one country in the Gulf which is probably the least stable um, because it has a Sunni ruling uh, class and a, a Shia majority. Uh, but and so they've been a fairly frequent uh, target of U.S. government criticism. But I think that's going to uh, not be the case under Trump. So they're certainly happy about that. Let's turn to Iraq and Syria and the war, the war against the Islamic State. As no doubt you've seen in the papers, it looks like the U.S. is taking a more uh, assertive stance there. We'll probably see more. U.S. military involvement, including the numbers of U.S. military troops in both Iraq and Syria uh, in the war against the Islamic State. We'll probably see more, for example, uh, U.S. helicopters involved, military helicopters involved in that struggle in support of the anti-Islamic State uh, military uh, Islamic forces. Um, and we'll probably see, in general, uh, a looser rules of engagement uh, rules, which will allow commanders on the ground to resort to military force more easily instead of going back to Washington for permission. I think, on, and I think over the next couple of years, we can we can anticipate that the Islamic State will be defeated in both countries. And we can also anticipate that President Assad will, will remain in power. Um, his forces are clearly uh, on the rise uh, in Syria. Um, so that's the, the picture, I think, with respect to Iraq and Syria. Uh, with uh, Egypt, I think that we'll also see an improvement in US-Egyptian ties. Uh, Obama was fairly critical of the Egyptians because of the, uh, you know, human right perceived human rights and actual human rights uh, violations. He was quite critical of them um, when the uh, elect democratically elected government was overthrown in 2013 by the military. There was some distance taking by the United States, even though parenthetically. Uh, that move, the military coup, was a very popular one in Egypt because the Muslim Brotherhood had lost all credibility at that point. Uh, but I think we'll see, uh, already Sisi has uh, met with Trump. Uh, he did him a favor of back, Egypt backing out of the UN resolution on settlements uh, in December. Um, and also, we'll probably see the renewal of the annual military exercise that this, this took place, has been taking place uh, between the U.S. and Egypt, uh, which was suspended, I think, under Obama for, uh, for several years. So we'll see definitely an upswing, I think, in uh, Egypt-U.S. Uh, relations. And all of... This is not counterweighed uh, by the executive order that Trump uh, laid down forbidding, at least for 90 days, um, uh, visa holders from entering the U.S. from uh, six or seven Arab countries. I think people were unhappy about that, but as long as they weren't on the list, um, they weren't too unhappy. Um, and I think the new version that's coming out will not have Iraq on the list. 
unfortunately. Finally, uh, Israel. The uh, I think the init initially the feeling in Israel is that uh, you know Trump was uh, behind the Israelis regardless of what they did. One hundred percent, they were very happy that he won the election, um, and not just Likud. I think that was a fairly widespread feeling. Now things have come down a bit to earth, I think, because. Uh, Trump has made it known that he's not, uh, you know, 100% supportive of settlement activity. They're trying to work out an agreement, I think, and kind of what could what could be done, what could be done by the Israelis, what shouldn't be done. Uh, there's a fairly uh, strong consensus among people who follow this issue in detail in the government that you might have something ideally where the Israelis can continue increasing their settlements. It's about 80% of the settlers are uh, within the security barrier, but they would not increase the numbers of settlers, about 20% of all settlers, deeper into the West Bank. So we may see something like that emerging. Uh, with respect to the embassy uh, moving to Jerusalem, you hear less talk of that now. Uh, Trump has said publicly there's a complicated issue. Uh, it's, there are obvious downsides from the U.S. point of view, even from, the, to a lesser degree, the Israeli point of view, in the sense that you, you, you may or may not see uh, significant violence. If that were to happen, uh, it puts countries like Egypt and uh, Jordan in a, a difficult situation. Um, so I can't predict you know, whether he's going to move forward on that, but he's certainly talking about it a lot less. Uh, and it's not at the very top of the Israeli list, apparently, uh, not surprisingly, Iran is. And I believe the Israeli defense minister is coming to Washington uh, this week, Lieberman, to discuss the gamut of issues. But he has said that uh, the top issue by far is, is Iran. Um, so that's kind of the overview. Um, I'll, I'll end by saying that I think Trump, uh, whatever his uh, personal instincts, he certainly surrounded himself by mainstream advisors. Uh, the Defense Secretary General Mattis uh, headed CENTCOM, the Middle East area uh, that's covered by the Defense Department. Um, and so he is a mainstream person, although um, he had his differences with Obama, the Obama administration, which he wanted to take a more, uh, somewhat more assertive stance on uh, Iran on several occasions. Um, Tillerson, the Secretary of State, has a background in international affairs, albeit a rather narrow one, dealing with commercial oil issues. Um, but he certainly comes across as a fairly mainstream person as well. And then ditto for uh, McMaster, uh, who's been in the military for, for decades now. And uh, he uh, has great familiarity with the Middle East, like most of these people. So he's going to be sensitive to 
uh, Middle East Arab views, and it was in the paper just recently that he was uncomfortable with the term um, Arab radical or mis uh, terror, I think, and wanted something um, you know more anodyne than that. So, uh, so I'll just stop there and uh, look forward to any questions that you have. Okay, Dr. Parker, thank you for your comments. This is Marilyn Stern. I did want to know: Is there, uh, do you have any insights to offer us regarding Russia? It seems to be the big uh, looming question behind the Iraq, Iran, Syria uh, aspects of um, the Middle East analysis. Uh, what can you tell us uh, about your impressions about that? Well, Russia is back in the Middle East again. Uh, I, in an ideal situation, they would not be. But they entered the Middle East uh, in the Syrian war, and they've had a major impact. They've, they have saved the Assad regime. So when President Obama said they were getting into a quagmire, that was that's not true. They've been able to modulate their, um, their activities there. So they're coming out of that, I think, as being perceived as a winner and uh, um, a new player. With respect to what the U.S. can do in coordination with Russia, I think Trump and uh, his former sidekick Flynn uh, overrated what the, how much the Russians can help with the U.S. Uh, yes, it's true in terms of counterterrorism. Yes, it's true that they have uh, uh, counter-terrorist Muslim threat, and certainly we do. But it's a different threat. You know, they have the Chechen uh, population. I think 10% for Russia is Muslim. Uh, our threat, though, is more from you know the Arab world. So when you, it's hard to get beyond the oh yes, we have a common threat there. It's hard to kind of operationalize that into concrete uh, cooperation. So there, now there's been some of that in, um, of course, Syria, where you know they're fighting against the um, the uh, anti-Assad forces, um, and but that's been their focus. Our focus has been the uh, Islamic State forces. So uh, even there, we have a somewhat different focus. So they're there. Um, they're going to remain there in Syria, and I'm sure they'll want to try to increase their uh, presence and influence elsewhere. But, you know, we're not going to separate them from Iran, though. They have uh, close ties with Iran, and this, I don't see that changing in any significant way. Okay. So, Thank you. Sure. Hey, Bonnie, Bonnie, can you please uh, introduce our callers? Certainly. The question and answer period will now begin, and we invite your participation. Please note that when there are no questions in the queue, the moderator will ask a question. To join the question and answer session queue, press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you wish to identify yourself when your line has been unmuted, please do so. Please remember, if you have your phone on mute, take it off mute when you are selected to ask your question. Again, to join the question and answer session queue, press star one on your telephone keypad. And we'll take our first question now. Caller, if you wish to identify yourself, please do so when your line is unmuted. Uh, yes, good afternoon. Andy Lappin from Chicago. Hi. Uh, hi. 
Um, Dr. Parker, you seem to be uh, unconcerned with uh, General, General McMaster's uh, aversion to putting the tag Islamic in, uh, in front of uh, terrorism. Mm -hmm. and, and we, you know, we just went through eight years of experiencing this, this aversion and the misdirection uh, mm -hmm. that resulted therefrom. Uh, mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is our so-called uh, friends in the Middle East know mm -hmm. that they have a problem with radical sure. Islam. Uh, and, and in fact, they, they need our help mm -hmm. um, to, to staunch its, its growth. So right. why, why aren't we pushing for, uh, why aren't we pushing back on McMaster's um, phobia? Uh, well, um, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's that important when it's coming from him. If you have a, an administration like the Obama administration that doesn't want to use the term, it reflects uh, a whole world view, as you point out. However, if you're coming, if it's coming from someone like McMaster, have you ever seen his photograph in the paper? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Would you, Would you want to mess with him in the street? Would you want to bump into him? <laughs> not, not unless, not unless I, I, I have a, a. Yeah. Will you disappear? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you would disappear real quick. Um, so if it's coming like someone from him, uh, I'm less concerned. I think I read in the paper he was okay with it. You know, he was more comfortable with the term Islamist. But um, I think it depends on who's using the term as opposed to, you know, the, the, the term itself. You know, watch what these people do as opposed to, you know, the kind of terminology that they use. Mm -hmm. So again, if, if, uh, if the Obama administration were using it, I think I do agree with you, I think, uh, that, um, you know, it says something about their conflict avoidance. If you're someone like uh, McMaster, he doesn't strike me as someone who's kind of excessively... Um, you know, bent on uh, avoiding offense. Um, so anyway, that's the, um, I mean, that's the way I see that issue. It really kind of depends Thank on you. you. Thank you. Sure. Okay, we'll go to our next caller. Uh, caller, please, uh, when you hear your line is muted, if you wish to identify yourself, please do so. Thank you, Dr. Parker. This is David Kudish in Aspen. Um, I continually am confused personally about what Russia's endgame is besides having a warm water port in the Mediterranean at Lakia. I don't understand with uh, the people to the south of Mother Russia uh, being mainly Sunni and with um, Iran being such a spoiler and able to turn on whomever is a friend uh, to mm -hmm. them, why are they supporting Iran? Why are they supporting Shia uh, Islam? Uh, I think that the Russians uh, think that they have worked out uh, a decent modus vivendi with Iran. 
Um, the Iranians can be fairly pragmatic when their concrete interests are involved. I'll give you a little example. The Iranians, from what I understand, they've always supported the um, Armenians in their difference with the Azeris over some territorial issue. So the Iranians are happy to support a Christian state of, uh, against an Islamic uh, a Muslim state in that case. So the Russians have worked out an agreement, you know, a series of understandings. In a way, unfortunately, with the, the collapse of the Soviet Union, it hurt our interest in one way, and that is Soviet, Russia slash Soviet Union no longer borders on Iran. So the Iranians, the, the Georgia, Azerbaijan, Armenia are the, kind of a buffer there. So the Iranians are no longer kind of afraid of, of Russia. Um, as they have been sometimes in the past. Um, and the uh, Iranians have always avoided scrupulously getting involved with the Russian uh, counterinsurgency in, in Chechnya. They've never given any support to that whatsoever, rhetorical or otherwise. So uh, the Russians um, think that they're... Uh, reasonably good terms with the uh, Iran. They're, they're glad that Iran has bad relations with the U.S. because that keeps the U.S. out of there. Uh, so that's a plus for them. Um, so that's uh, kind of the background vis-a-vis uh, -vis Iran. On Syria, they believe, um, and you know, People can differ over this. I know the Israelis have had very mixed feelings about the Syrian civil war, but they believe that they would rather they want to have Assad there, um, who they dealt with, you know, over the years, uh, and that uh, you know he may be a bastard, but he's a secular bastard. You know, to paraphrase, I think what Franklin Roosevelt once said about the Latin America, Latin American dictator. Um, so they're okay with that. And then finally, I think they think that the U.S. has messed things up big time in the Middle East. What do I mean by that? They look at uh, our uh, intervention in Iraq and all the chaos that came out of that following 2003. They look at the, uh, the NATO-U.S. intervention in Libya in 2011 and the chaos that flew from that. So their feeling is that the U.S. has kind of been a kind of rogue elephant in its own way in the Middle East in recent, uh, you know, over the last 15 years, and that, you know, they don't, um, they want to try to do something about it. So that's why, um, you know, they're reasonably comfortable with uh, their relations with Iran. They have kept Assad in power. And they have a feeling that, you know, they know better about what's needed in the Middle East than the United States does. So that's kind of my, um, you know, melancholy analysis. We can't help, we can't, in short, we can't count on them to really change policy on Iran. They're just not going to do that. Okay, thank you. We'll go to our next caller. And caller, if you wish to identify yourself, please do so when you hear your line is unmuted. Hi, um, Dr. Parker? Yes, hi. Hey. Hi, this is Janet Derflinger. Um, I wonder, I guess it's very early in the Trump administration, but could you take things a little bit farther in, into the future 
do you think that, can you imagine the Trump administration doing anything to prevent Iran from getting nuclear weapons, particularly with Russia involved? Well, the, I, I suspect that the nuclear agreement that they had, that was struck by the Obama administration, is probably going to remain in force. I know that uh, Defense Secretary Mattis, and I think Sec uh, Secretary of State Tillerson said that it should. So it'll probably remain in force. Now, if the Iranians, you know, adhere, you know, to its provisions, uh, they're not going to go nuclear over the next whatever it is, seven or eight years. Um, and so, what happens after that is, you know. Uh, remains to be seen, but if I were a betting man, I don't think the Iranians would break will break out of that in a you know in a in a, in a bald face way, and they may have made the calculation privately that they'd they'd like to have the nuclear option, of course, and but they may not actually you know weaponize something publicly, at least certainly over the next seven or eight years, because they could be afraid of a U.S. or Israeli military strike. So uh, I think what the administration will do will to um, you know, enforce the uh, nuclear agreement uh, in a strict way, but um, you know, I could see it kind of remaining in force um, over the next you know the, over the next four years or so. So I mean. Now, yeah, go ahead. I mean, my understanding is that the the agreement enables them to become a nuclear power when it sunsets, right? So you're saying if it doesn't sunset during the Trump administration, yeah. they're not going to do anything about it. It sunset. It gets sunsets in seven or eight years. I when that happens, the Israeli the, the Iranians could the agreement could be uh, renewed. The Iranians could withdraw. If they withdraw and go openly towards a nuclear agreement, uh, a nuclear weapon, then there's nothing that stops economic sanctions, including from Europe, uh, to be reapplied. To be reapplied, or nothing stops a military uh, the uh, facilities at that point. But it's, uh, I think it's the, the duration. It goes for about seven or eight years, I believe. So. I'm not sure this is going to kind of come to a head over the next four years. Keep in mind also, by the way, that the most um, stark security challenge that the U.S. is going to face over the next four years is not the not Iran, but it's um, North Korea. North Korea. Uh, they have a they do have a nuclear weapon, unlike Iran. They do have a more advanced ballistic missile program. So the administration may be saying to itself, if we're going to kind of, you know, go to the mat over someone <laughs> militarily, it, I suspect it would be more likely to be in North Korea than Iran. Thank you. Sure. No, thanks. Good question. Okay. So we have time for one more question. So just to remind you that you can press star 1 on your phone if you have a question. And note that when there are no questions in the queue, the moderator will ask a question. And so I will uh, turn things over to the moderator at this time. Okay, thank you. Uh, Dr. Parker, can you offer any perspective on the Kurds? Uh, what might their outcome be? I know their independence is top 
most in their mind, but uh, how does that appear in the uh, big picture that's going on there? What's right, your opinion? Right. Yeah, that's always a, it's a good question, and everyone has a soft spot in their heart for the Kurds. <laughs> uh, U.S. is working with them uh, to retake Raqqa, which is the ISIS capital in Syria. And as I'm sure you've all been reading in the newspaper, there's a lot of tension between the Kurds and Turkey, the Kurds at least in Syria and Turkey. And the U.S. has to balance uh, what the Kurds can bring to the struggle on the ground, uh, which is quite a lot. They're you know, good fighters. And also what the Turks can nonetheless offer the U.S. You know, in terms of basing back in Turkey for airstrikes um, and, you know, that balance is being worked out now. I, I, from what I understand, we may increase the number of U.S. forces involved in this fight, despite the risks, um, in part to um, maybe reassure the Turks that, you know, the Kurds won't be establishing some new independent entity there. Um, and, you know, and over the long term, I don't know, uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine. They're split between uh, four countries, Syria, Iraq, Iran, um, and Turkey. Um, they certainly tend to be very friendly with the U.S., and uh, we don't have a lot of friends in that area. Um, so um, I just hope, I guess like a lot of people, that over time they can evolve towards... Um, you know, some real autonomy there, and so that they have as much, you know, independence as feasible, even if it's not a, a formal state. Oh, thank you. Uh, I do see sure. there's, one, there's one last questioner in the queue. It's 4.30. Will you have time to take that question? Sure. Or shall we? sure. Okay. Yeah, no, go, ahead. go ahead, Bonnie. Okay. So we'll take our next caller. Please uh, go ahead and introduce yourself if you wish to. Uh, I'm William Pike. Uh, I've seen talk in the paper about the um, borders being redrawn in the whole Mideast area. Uh, it's pretty casual now, uh, but do you see any likelihood that will happen beyond the fact they've kind of redrawn themselves? Uh, do you think Trump would support that, uh, or is that too big to handle? Any any thoughts on how that might play out? I don't think that's going to play out. Uh, if... If, you know, borders kind of change, I don't think they'll change formally. Uh, there may be some, you know, de facto areas that where people become autonomous, whether it's Kurds or, or else otherwise, but I don't see some kind of formal change in borders. Any states... Uh, all states, including Middle East states, they get very antsy about changing borders because they always ask themselves, you know, are we next? Mm -hmm. um, so there's just a whole predisposition against, you know, any kind of formal changing of borders. Okay, and how does that play out with the Kurds? If, uh, if things calm down, could Turkey, uh, Erdogan turn back on the Kurds again? Um, it just, it, that seems to be not in the forefront right now, but about to become unsettled again. Can you comment on that? Sure. I'm sorry, but you, you said Erdogan might he turn back on the Kurds? In, in other words, uh, fight them more? or, 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 or Fight, or fight them more. 
Right. Fight like, them more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. Well, I think he has sent in, I think, you know, some Turkish forces into northern Syria to make sure that there's no, you know, kind of entity there, a Kurdish entity that um, can be used for uh, you know, guerrilla activities inside Turkey itself. So um, I think that uh, that's one of his red lines, and I think that um, he will only allow you know so much Turkish autonomy, at least in Syria. There's, there seems to be a Turkish relations with the Iraqi Kurds uh, are much better, but um, you know I think it'll probably continue to be a, a tense situation. Thank you. Thank sure. You. Thank you. Question. Good question. And we've reached the end of our time today. Sure. And the Middle, Middle East Forum thanks Dr. Parker for his briefing Thank today you. and to our participants for calling in. And this yes. ends our conference call.